You hear me there? Fantastic. Greg Haslam, who, was, uh, who led the church at Westminster Chapel for many years and who sadly died a couple of months ago, uh, I remember him telling the story once as uh, how he was filling out an insurance form. And after he'd filled out his name and address, the next question was, what's your profession? And he put down pastor, stroke preacher. And the next question was, is your job dangerous? <laughs> And he said he wasn't sure how to answer that question. Is your job dangerous? Is preaching the word of God dangerous? Do things happen when we preach the word of God? Do things change when we preach the word of God? Is the unexpected the normal when we preach the word of God? hope the answer to all of those is yes. Is it dangerous? I'll leave it for you to decide as we continue with our series this morning. Let me welcome you if you're in the room. Let me welcome you if you're online. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Ken. I'm part of the preaching team here and uh, I'm really excited to be continuing our series on the pillars of our faith. The five solas that we talk of that are phrases that, if you like, were birthed in the Reformation over 500 years ago, but which are still incredibly relevant today. Uh, we started the series a few weeks ago looking at uh, sola scriptura. That means by scripture alone, the idea that the Bible is our one source of truth and authority. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at... Uh, uh, Sola Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone is our way of finding faith, of finding about, about God. Today I'm really excited to be looking at uh, Sola Gracia by grace alone, the next part in this series. It's important to note that uh, within the Christian faith, there are many areas that we can discuss and debate and indeed have different views on. <clears throat> I mentioned this last time that uh, uh, it, you know, some Christians, you can talk about the age of the universe, you can talk about how you view the end times through revelation, and there are all different ideas and thoughts on that, and they're great. There are truths that we come back to, though, that are sacrosanct, that, that, that form a boundary beyond which we don't cross. And it doesn't really matter how old the universe is as long as we believe that God was there as the creator. It doesn't really matter whether you're an amillennialist, a premillennialist, or a postmillennialist, or if you even care what they are, as long as you know that God holds all things in his hands and will bring this universe to a glorious conclusion. And so as much as I and we love to discuss and debate and have different views, it's so important that we say this is the areas on which we don't debate. We don't have different viewpoints. These are the truths that we believe in. And to doubt those or to question those or to cross the line of those is indeed to cross a line into error and uh, uh, dangerous areas that we don't want to go. We live in a world, unfortunately, where truth is so subjective. Truth is what I want to believe today. 
And if you don't happen to believe in that particular truth, well, that's fine for you because I believe in that. And we need to affirm, I think as previous generations have always affirmed, or perhaps even have never needed to affirm, that truth is truth. It applies to all people. And that's why this series is so important as we look at what is true, what is central to our faith, what are the unmoving pillars of our faith, grace being one of them. So let's start with a reading. Uh, I, I love the fact, I don't think it's any coincidence at all that this was the same reading that Steve used last week. So often when we come to preach the word and the guy who's preaching the week before says, turn to such and such, when it happens to be the same passage, there's something in your heart that says, oh, I wonder if all that I had has now been taken and said and do I need to reschedule and rethink and rewrite? But uh, trust me, with Ephesians chapter 2, there is no danger of that. So turn with me, please, to Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and we'll just start reading from verse 4 there. But God, I love the buts in scripture, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's just pray. Father, just pray that you bless these words to us. Bless you. Pray you bless these truths to us. I pray that you'd write them on our hearts. I pray that your word in our hearts would be a dangerous thing that it would impact us and change us and move us on. Amen. Amen. If we're going to understand grace, and in particular the grace of God, then we need to understand what we mean by that word. It's, it's a funny word in a way. We kind of use it a lot, but we often, if we're pushed, we're probably not sure what we actually mean by grace. If I talk of somebody as being graceful, you, you might think of a dancer with uh, coordinated and smooth movements. If we talk of somebody being gracious, you think of them being perhaps kind and considerate, uh, to use that English phrase, uh, a genteel person. Now, no, those are all good characteristics, but is that what we mean by the grace of God, that grace is that God is a good dancer? or that he's smooth and coordinated and genteel. I think the grace of God means a little bit more. And we're probably led into this false sense of we know what this means because we find it in Scripture so much. So many of the writers talk about the grace of God. Uh, Paul, for instance, can't stop talking about the grace of God, even just in his letters to the Corinthian church. He, uh, he thanks God for them because of the grace of God that was given to them. That's 1 Corinthians 1.4. He appeals to them not to receive the grace of God in vain, 2 Corinthians 6.1. And when he prays for them, he prays that the grace of God might be with them, 2 Corinthians 
13, 14. But in every instance, he doesn't really say what the grace of God is. There's this assumption that they know what he's talking about. He's kind of making the assumption that they know what he's talking about when he says the grace of God. And so this morning, we probably need to do a little bit of digging to really understand what we mean by the grace of God. We need to go on a little bit of a journey to explore what grace is. And so almost in the way that I I spoke a few weeks ago when we did Sola Scriptura, we need to kind of put grace in our back pocket. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. But we'll start our journey somewhere else. I want you to imagine this morning that you have just become Prime Minister of the country. I know Boris is going through a a bit of a rough patch at the moment, so this might not be all that hypothetical. But let's just assume that, that you are the new Prime Minister. You have the mandate to shape the social structure of the country. You can introduce rules and uh, regulations and define the way our society acts. What would you do? What words would you want people to say, that defines my government or that defines this government? You might use such words as fairness, accountability, Honesty. I might suggest that all of those words are good words and and they can probably all be summed up in one other word, justice. We look for justice in our society. Who wouldn't want to live in a just society? Uh, Pierre Trudeau, the former Prime Minister of Canada, once said, the attainment of a just society is the cherished hope of civilised men. Who wouldn't want to live in a just society where wrongs are righted, where people that do wrong are held accountable for what they have done wrong? So often in our hearts there is an outcry, a moral outrage when people seem to do wrong and get away with it. You know, one of the biggest faith questions that is asked by people is simply this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And every faith, every religion, every creed, every cult, every worldview has to ultimately answer that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm not going to do that one today. We can do that another time maybe. But there's an outcry in our hearts that says, that is wrong. The good should prosper. The bad should be held accountable for the things that they've done wrong. We long for a just society. And there is a great cry in heaven for justice. I don't know if you you see those cartoons where as Christians we're all serenely sitting on a cloud playing our harp, wondering what to do for the next 10,000 years, what other perhaps chords we can learn. Um, Some people have got more chords to learn than others, by the way. I'm starting from ground zero on that one, so I've got a few thousand years for that. But but there's, there's an outcry in heaven. 
Heaven is a restless place today because people are crying out to God. If if you look in Revelation 6 and verse 10, there's this great cry there where it says, they cried out, This this is the saints in heaven, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Because God is a just God. It says so in Deuteronomy. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. And so there are these saints in heaven who have lost their lives for the word of God, who've been tortured and martyred. And there's this cry in heaven that says, this is not right. God, you're a just God. You need to avenge this. You need to right this. Oh God, oh sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge us? You see, God is a God who will one day right all wrongs, who will hold people to account for his actions. And many who believe that their actions don't matter, that it's immaterial, will face a just God. So again, my question is, who wouldn't want to live in a just society? But let's hold on a moment before we rush on and say that's what our government would stand for. That's what our mandate would be. Because the truth is we usually like justice as long as it applies to the other person. We like justice because it applies to the person that has wronged us who's offended us, who's upset us. Lord, deal with them justly. But what about us? Are we innocent? Are we squeaky clean? Do we come before God and say, hey, I've done nothing wrong? You see, the truth is very clear in Scripture. As Paul says to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed. We've all fallen. None of us are perfect. And you might think that doesn't really matter. But for a holy and righteous God, a God of justice who cannot ignore people who don't do something wrong, that's an issue. That's something that can't be ignored. For the wages of sin is death. So maybe a society that's built on justice alone isn't quite as good as it sounds. So let's go back to the drawing board or to the cabinet office. Let's get the whiteboards out again and see if we can think of another way of ordering our society. We don't want to get rid of justice. Justice serves its purpose. We could define justice as receiving what we deserve. That's a good place to start. People should receive what they deserve. But is there perhaps a way we could introduce into our society not receiving what we deserve? Is there room for that, perhaps? Does does something like that exist? Does something like that have a name? Well, yes, it does. It's called mercy. It's called mercy. Because if justice is receiving what we deserve, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. To quote Abraham Lincoln, 
president of the United States during their civil war, he said, I've always found that mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. Mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. And of course, having recognised that we are sinners deserving nothing but justice, it's so necessary to realise that we have a God who forgives. Paul, or Peter rather, starts his letter with this amazing truth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to his great mercy, we have been forgiven. That which we deserved has been taken away from us on the cross. This this great dilemma that confounded and confronted the creator of the universe when he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love in Jeremiah, but I'm a righteous and a holy God and I must hold people to account. These come slamming into each other on the cross where justice and mercy meet, where the demand for people to be held accountable is recognised, but at the same time, mercy is shown. Because on the cross, Jesus took our sins on his body. He paid the price for us. He suffered and died for us. If this morning you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then that is the truth that you need to know, that you can face a God of justice or you can accept a God of mercy. For those of us that know Jesus, the good news is that there is forgiveness to be found on the cross. I haven't done much talking about grace so far, have I? I said we're getting there. That's sort of a subtitle to all of my sermons, isn't it? We're getting there. We're getting there. To put it simply, if justice is getting what we deserve and mercy is not getting what we deserve, then there's something very special about grace because grace is getting what we don't deserve. I'll probably say those a couple of times through the rest of today, but uh, it will make sense as we go. The gospel is, in a sense, summed up by justice and mercy. We could indeed end it there, couldn't we? Maybe we need another sola. Sola mercy. Or to use the... I had to look up the Latin one for this, but sola misericordia. That doesn't trip off the tongue quite so easily as sola gratia. But only mercy. Maybe you could say that one works. Only mercy. We wouldn't be terribly wrong as Christians, would we? But you see, there is so much more as we now start to unpack grace. We have justice, which is getting what we deserve. We have mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. But now we come to grace. Let me make two observations before I open up grace a little bit more. First one is this. I don't know if you, you kind of follow the structure. I don't know if my sermons have any structure. I don't know if you followed the, the structure so far. You kind of might have assumed we got three points, yeah? 
justice, mercy, grace. That's the kind of way we tend to do things. And the way this is structured is I've kind of thrown in a nice quote from a kind of famous person, okay? Pierre Trudeau talks about justice. Abraham Lincoln talks about mercy. Kind of what comes next? What, what, what should the next slide be? Well, it should be somebody talking about grace, shouldn't it? It'd be some famous figure, some, I don't know, uh, Formula One driver or football player or prime minister uh, talking about grace. Do you know the interesting thing? I couldn't find one. I can find lots of quotes about justice and lots of quotes about mercy and lots of quotes about grace when we talk about the grace of God. But if we're just looking for a secular quote about grace in human life, I actually couldn't find one. If you find one, let me know. Um, this building, by the way, is called the Charis Centre. Charis is Greek for grace. I don't know how many of you knew that. Such an important phrase in many ways when we bought this building, when we wondered what we were going to call it. The building opposite the hospital. That's got a nice ring to it, hasn't it? <laughs> the building down from the Apple Tree pub. We were looking for something a little bit more that, that, that summed up our values and the things that we believe in. Uh, so we called it the Charis Centre, which is Greek for grace. Uh, Charis, by the way, is where we get our word charity. Ch charis, charity. It's giving to those that don't have. It's receiving what you don't deserve. But I couldn't find a secular quote about grace. Also, just go back, if we can have it back, that passage in Ephesians. It should be the next slide. Um, I was really struck by, I don't know, a little bit of um, sentence analysis. Excuse my kind of English literature or language school bringing. But we used to analyse sentences. And, and I want to do a little bit, it's a little bit naughty, but I trust you'll allow me to do this. I want to just change the punctuation in this passage a little bit. I just want to make a break that, that Paul makes just a little bit stronger. Because what he says there, he says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? And then he goes on and talks about something else in the next couple of verses. But I just want to pause there. just want to put a dotted line there. just want to dare to almost put a full stop there. Because if we had verse 4 and half of verse 5, you've got the gospel. You've got what you need to be saved. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. You can actually say hallelujah at that point. You can say praise God. Because we who were dead have now been made alive. We can put a full stop there. Paul can go on and talk about something else. We can end Ephesians there. We can start a new book. But you see... We've actually got the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 9. They're actually talking about something else. Because God says, I'm not going to act justly towards you and punish you. I'm going to display mercy and today I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to forgive you. But, but... I'm actually going to do something else. 
I'm actually going to show you my grace. By grace you have been saved. You have been raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places. Did we deserve that? You've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. You know, we can so often strive to do things. We can think that my place in God's kingdom depends on what I do in doing the right thing. God says, no, it's my grace. So that no one may boast. I I have this picture. I I have this picture that, that God says to each one of us, I've saved you. I could have condemned you to hell, but I've not. I've shown my mercy to you. I've sent my son to die for you on the cross. Just think of the the price that the father has paid to show mercy to you. And now we can come into heaven. And it would be almost so appropriate. It would be so right. It would be so logical if God said... Just stay in the corner over there. Just want you to appreciate how costly this has been. Just look, you know, it's cost me my son. I've forgiven you. Your sins have been wiped clean. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a tension here. It's a bit like when your child has done something wrong, isn't it? You know, you, you've kind of, you've got this balance between, is it the naughty step? And, and uh, kind of somehow at the end of the day, you've got to put all these things right. But sometimes as parents, you say, look, just, 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 just go to your room and chill, chill. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. But there's a bit of a distance between us, yeah? That's where we are without Grace. But you see, God doesn't do that. God says, no, actually, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to receive some things from me. You don't deserve them. Oh, you don't deserve them. None of you deserve them. But that's what grace is about. Receiving what we don't deserve. He said, I've seated you in heavenly places. We have been adopted. We've been called sons of God, daughters of God. We've been called co-heirs with Christ. Where did that come from? We've been told that we're going to judge angels. I'm not quite sure what the angels have done wrong that needs judging. We'll work that one out when we get there. But, but there are these perfect angelic creatures. Who, who, who do you think would be in first in line to be blessed by God? I kind of stick the angels there. And he said, no, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my blessings upon you. It says, it says in Scripture that angels long to look into these things and wonder. They look into these things and look. They say, I don't understand how a God could shower these people with so much blessing. Do you know something very wise? I'm not sure who said it. It certainly wasn't me, but I've picked it up from somebody else. Someone once said that God couldn't do any more for us without violating the sanctity of the Trinity. Now, what that basically means is God couldn't give us more, lift us up more, make us any more important in his sight without making us one with Jesus and himself. There's nothing more that he could do to give us a higher position in his kingdom. We have this adoption 
into his family. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. We didn't merit that. But that's grace. He could have said, just, 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 just stay in the corner over there. You're in heaven. You've squeaked in. But just, just sit over there. Don't make any more noise. Don't, don't create any more havoc or upset. He says, come and sit with me. Come and sit with me. He saved us, not through works. Oh, actually, let's do this one first. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Paul says. I think we can have the next slide. There's a couple of things there that will give us that, hopefully. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God's not held back any good thing from us. You know, Steve just earlier was talking about ministering to the Kingston Church and people there receiving gifts from God, receiving healing from God. Uh, uh, we talk of the grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I don't have those in me. I need God to give me those. Sometimes they're not always apparent, but I think they're in there somewhere. God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, mercy gifts, gifts of administration, things to help us manage his church. He didn't need to give us those. He's blessed us. No, he's blessed you. Let's make it personal. He's blessed me. You can say that. He's blessed me with every spiritual blessing. There's an abundance there. And then perhaps the greatest outworking of grace is this. That we're saved not because of works, but because of him. You know, if it was down to us, this is a scary thing. You know, this, this is very personal for me. How can I stand up and do this sort of stuff? And how can any of us stand up here and share the gospel and have any confidence in doing that? It's a scary thing being up here sharing God's word. Just, just imagine with me for a moment that this was happening in my strength and when Danny comes up here and when Steve comes up here we're doing this all in our strength and let's just say someone is in here for the one and only time you might be here today for the first time and you might not be coming back here ever again this might be the one chance for someone to say you need to receive Jesus into your life now if that's working in my strength it's dependent on me having a good day, me having the right words, me having the enough ability to break through whatever other distraction might be holding your attention this morning. And if you go out today and you, you missed that and you didn't take that opportunity, well, it was down to me having a bad day. It was down to my lack, my inability, my poorness of presentation, the lack of good enough works on my part. But God says that's not how it works. See, he opens deaf ears. He opens blind eyes. He's the one that touches people's hearts. And if you feel your heart stirring and moving and uh, feeling, wow, something's going on here. That, that's not me speaking, that's God. 
You see, we are uh, talking to Malcolm and Nick this morning. I was saying we, we're, we're so English sometimes when it comes to receiving from God. Uh, I don't think other cultures have this problem as much as we do, but the English, we love to queue, don't we? Do you, know, do you know the best part of the queue where we as English people love to be? It's the back of the queue. Yeah, we love to be at the back of the queue. Other cultures don't, don't manage this. You, you go and push to the front, don't you? Hey, serve me my cappuccino, espresso, light, mocha, latte, whatever. You watch Friends, or that's a bit, I, that's a bit 90s now. I, I saw a great, I, I'm totally digressing. I saw a great article once of, of, of a mum who was watching Friends with her teenage daughter for the first time. They were rerunning Friends. You all remember Friends from the night? She said it was amazing how many things she had to explain to her teenage daughter. Uh, people saying, write down your telephone number and I'll phone you. Her teenage daughter, what was that all about? You know, the 90s have got so old already, guys. Um, but anyway, I digress. I, I, there was a great article. All these things in Friends that suddenly now needed explaining. But, but we put ourselves at the back of the queue. We're going to, I, want to, I want time for us to minister now because actually this is very relevant. God might have been speaking to you this morning. Grace says you can all receive. Every one of us can receive from God. And what do we so often do? What do we so often do? Well, we say lots of things. We say, well, actually, there's people that are more deserving than me. That person's got a bigger need than I have. I'll sit here at the back of the queue. Let God deal with those first. We, we've been through a tough couple of years, haven't we? We're still going through a tough time. Everybody's got hurt and loss and tough times and tough experiences. We're all hurting in a way. We're all saying, God, I need to receive from you. But, but as English people, we so easily do this. We say, oh, yeah, but that person over there, they're hurting more. God, you go and, you go and deal with them. I, I'll wait here in kind of isolation proud secular isolation you can get to me later and that means just don't bother get do them we can think that our needs aren't important who am i to bring this before god who am i to receive from god there's other people that are more deserving god will bless me when i get my life sorted out when i say the right things, do the right things, have the right education, come to church enough, pray the right prayers, read the right bits of the Bible. <sighs> Brothers and sisters, grace is not about what we do. It's not about what we do. And when it's not about what we do, it doesn't matter if some person does this better or more eloquently or reads their Bible more or seems to have a more public or a bigger ministry. God says, actually, I'm going to bless all of you the same. It'd be good if we could just stand. Just, just stand for a moment if you're able to. If you're comfortable sitting, then that's fine. But just please stand where you are. Now, again. Uh, Guyana, if you could come back, I think it would be great if you could help us just with some worship. Just hold out your hands, just, just as a sign of receiving from God. Because God wants to give every one of you something this morning. Now, if God didn't want to do that, if God didn't want to do that, we wouldn't have any right to be talking about grace. Yeah? If we had a God that said, well, actually, there's some folks over there that I think I'm going to bless, but there's some guys over here, well, no, actually, you're kind of still in my bad books. That's not grace. Grace has got something for everybody. 
And the folks here in the mor- this morning, I really do, I think that you've, during these couple of years, you've just put yourselves at the back of the queue. You said, I don't, I don't need to be blessed. I don't need to receive. Because how could I possibly bring this before God when there's so many other bigger concerns in the world at the moment? God wants to touch you this morning. God wants to touch you this morning. I think as we, as we do this, we always have to give opportunity for people that, again, have never accepted Jesus into their lives for the first time. You might be this morning suddenly struck by the fact that you don't know Jesus, that you face just a God of justice. Maybe also this morning you're someone that's actually not sure if you've ever made a commitment. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. It's almost embarrassing to put your hand up now and say, I, I want to accept Jesus into my life because everybody thinks you've done that. If you're not sure, if you're not sure if you've prayed that prayer, you can receive from God this morning. Just hold your hands out. Just now, as we're quiet. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. As we've been in isolation, we've kind of step back a little bit from body ministry. We've had to, haven't we? We've had to. There's, there's only so much you can do over Zoom. But just moving in spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. You know, some of us, all of us should be moving in that. Some of us think maybe we've just dropped that, set that to side a little bit because Zoom has said, well, we don't do that when we do church online. Folks here need to pick that up again. You're not, not sure if you can pick that up. What, what if God doesn't bless me with that anymore? What if I did that in the past, but I won't do that now? God says, I'm a God of grace. Just continue to pray. If you, if you especially want someone to, to pray with you, if you, if you just want to bring something before God and just, just want some prayer, then you can ask someone just nearby next to you to pray with you. You can come down the front here if if you want to do that. Sometimes it's really good to acknowledge that you want to stand before God publicly by doing that. People will come and stand with you and pray. But as we sing, let's just, just continue to hold your hands out, continue to receive from God, from God's grace. He doesn't have to give you anything, but he does. But he does.